Hello, Rebecca Mays here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. I want to acknowledge that this program was recorded on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and that their sovereignty has never been ceded. This episode of Stick Together was produced on Jaja Run Country and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. It is brought to you on your local community radio station thanks to the Community Broadcasting Foundation. As you may have noticed, the Stick Together show always starts by acknowledging the owners of the lands on which we are working. We follow a long line of workers who continue to stand in solidarity with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in their fight for justice. This week, thousands of people all over the country attended Black Lives Matter rallies calling for an end to black deaths in custody. We'll hear songs and words from Melbourne, Adelaide and Brisbane. Then we'll hear from the Earthworker Cooperative about the place of cooperatives in rebuilding an economy post-COVID-19 to one that is democratic, equitable and ecologically sane. But first, some union news. This week, the Australian Workers' Union called on the federal government to launch an urgent inquiry into widespread labour exploitation and visa law-breaking across the agriculture and horticulture industries. The latest call for action was prompted by the death of a Fijian worker who was being illegally employed at a farm in the Riverina. The AWU investigation into Epi Kurunawai's death from a heart attack revealed he was being paid cash in hand and working illegally on a tourist visa while picking pumpkins at a produce farm in Finlay, and that that practice was commonplace at farms across the Riverina. The AWU has written to Immigration Minister Peter Dutton calling for an inquiry into Mr Kurunawai's death and the systemic rorting of workers' rights. Daniel Walton, National Secretary of the AWU, said thousands of workers from overseas are being exploited every single day in Australia, and most are hidden from sight. It has taken the tragic death of Mr Kurunawai from a heart attack to allow us to shine a spotlight into what is really going on at farms across the country. In the letter to Mr Dutton, the AWU's Mr Walton writes... Due to negligence and lack of enforcement, Australia is now running an informal guest worker program that exploits people. Exploitation of workers, no matter where they are from, is unacceptable. That exploitation of this nature is endemic in Australia should be shocking to us all, and yet it is occurring on such a widespread basis in the agricultural sector that exploitation is now a business model and source of competitive advantage. Businesses are trying to shirk responsibility throughout the supply chain, and it's time we got it under control. The AWU says the abuse is so widespread throughout the entire agricultural supply chain that a complete overhaul of the system is needed and is calling for a proper permanent migration system that eliminates the prospect of exploitation of this nature. The AWU has also committed this week to fight any attempt by the construction industry to slash hours of work and penalty rates under the guise of the COVID-19 pandemic. The AWU put out a warning that every construction worker in the country could be affected by the far-sweeping changes being proposed by a consortium of industry leaders. The proposed changes to industry awards would stay in place until the end of the year and could be seized upon by employers to seek permanent changes. Daniel Walton said, 
We will not sit back and let big business decimate the safety net conditions of hundreds of thousands of hardworking Australians. The MBA and other employers are attempting to push through radical changes to the safety net for the whole construction industry, including allowing employers to unilaterally reduce hours of work. The extension of ordinary working hours to include Saturdays from 6am to 2pm and casual shift minimums could drop to two hours from four hours. Workers can also be directed to take annual leave until they are left with a balance of just two weeks. Our members who work on our roads, tunnels, bridges and key infrastructure projects will prove pivotal in rebuilding Australia. And we should be rewarding them, not penalising them. This matter will be heard by the Fair Work Commission on the 8th and 9th of July. In regional news, AMWU delegates are demanding immediate action from the federal government to protect regional jobs from the threat of cheap imports. Rallying at the Ballarat McCain processing plant on the morning of February June 5th with workers, McCain representatives and federal Ballarat MP Catherine King, AMWU State Secretary Tony Mavromatis said federal authorities needed to take the issue seriously before the market was flooded with European products. I'm not sure whether it's tariffs or subsidies, but we just want the federal government to do something. Take it seriously and do something for local manufacturing and local jobs. Don't sit there and wait for it to happen. Get out there and do something about it, he said. We don't want the farmers to close their farms and not have the ability to use them in the future. Supermarkets need to be accountable. Stand up and support local farmers and local jobs. Ballarat Regional Trades and Labor Council Secretary Brett Edgington said Australia had an opportunity to become less reliant on global supply chains as well as retain jobs. If heavily subsidised potatoes from Europe land in Australia, we might get slightly cheaper chips for a while, but at least 400 jobs here in Ballarat and hundreds more jobs across our growers and producers in the region and hundreds of people employed in agricultural implement manufacturing, all of that comes under threat, he said. The federal government has an anti-dumping board. We want a very clear message from the federal government and the anti-dumping board that this product will not be allowed to land in Australia. On Thursday, June 4th, the wage theft bill passed the lower house in the Victorian Parliament. Here's some of what Juliana Addison, the member for Wendery, had to say in support of the bill. I rise to speak in support of this very important legislation, the Wage Theft Bill 2020, an important bill to criminalise wage theft and to establish a wage inspectorate of Victoria with functions and powers to investigate and prosecute the wage theft offences. I'm so proud to have the opportunity to speak on another landmark Andrews Labor government bill, a bill that enshrines wage theft as a crime with serious consequences for deliberate and dishonest underpayment of wages and entitlements. We need to introduce this legislation because it is clear the current laws are not strong enough. They do not deter wage theft. It is a significant issue and affects many workers of every day, of every month, of every year. So let's be really clear. What are we talking about when we're talking about wage theft? We're talking about when companies and individual employees deliberately underpay and deny workers conditions that they are entitled to. 
Examples of wage theft include, but are not limited to, the underpayment of the legal hourly rate, the payment at a lower or an incorrect classification, failure to pay shift penalties and other allowances, requiring workers to complete unpaid overtime and not paying superannuation at all. Wage theft occurs when employers deliberately and fraudulently underpay their workforce's wages. They are literally stealing money from their workers' pay packets and their pockets. What they are doing is theft. This legislation is making wage theft a crime like any other form of theft. We believe that theft is theft and thieving employers will be dealt with as thieves, including being sent to jail for their crimes. We've seen too many high-profile cases across our state and nation. People have talked about this already, about Woolworths, about 7-Eleven, about Red Rooster, Caltex, Pizza Hut and Domino's. They've all been named in wage scandals. It's become clear that in some sectors, underpayment of workforce wages has become routine. This is unacceptable and cannot be tolerated. Industries with particularly high rates of wage theft are hospitality and agriculture. Nationally, it is estimated that one in two hospitality workers are being underpaid, with similar figures being reported in retail, in beauty and fast food sectors. The offences cover underpayment of wages as well as allowances, annual leave, long service leave and meal breaks. I would really like to acknowledge the strong advocacy of HOSPO Voice in the fight for workers' rights and drawing the community's attention to the widespread occurrence of wage theft in the hospitality industry in Victoria and also their union, the United Workers' Union. I would also like to congratulate Luke Hilakari and Victoria Trades Hall Council for their campaign to address this injustice and exploitation and the role that unions have played in the development of this legislation. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. Start, I just want to acknowledge and pay my respects to the owners of this land, the Rwandari people and everybody else connected to the Kulin Nations. Make some noise for them one time. I send my love out to the brothers and sisters over in the States. I send my love out to the brothers and sisters in West Papua. Everyone say, Free West Papua! Free West Papua! Free West Papua! attention so it's on us to bring that to the world everyone use your voices to make sure people know what the fuck's going on i'm from a small last town in northwest victoria called mildura that sits on lachi lachi country you know those small towns i'm very familiar with racism very familiar with racism i'll tell you one story about when i was 15 years old i was at home alone the police came through my house with their pistols drawn looking for someone that was never there. When I hear stories about 
Sister Brianna Taylor, when I hear stories about Brother uh, Commandant Walker, it takes me back to those times. I could have been them. At that moment, I could have been dead by the police, and no one would have known until it was too late. So my heart is always with the people across the world. Anyone going through this battle, big love to all the freedom fighters here tonight, all the freedom fighters across the world. Make some noise, let it be heard. I really feel honoured um, to be here and read out the statements of the families um, who've been killed by custody and I'm going to be reading out uh, David Dungai's family's statement. Um, so we are horrified by the events unfolding in the United States, but is Australia any better? We are the... We are the family of David Dungai, a proud Dungai warrior who's tragically died in custody on the 26th, 29th of December 2015. David was 26 years old. The images of what happened to David have been viewed all over the world. Our young man was held down by prison guards while being sedated. David cried, I can't breathe, over a dozen times in the space of his last nine minutes. The guards ignored his cries for help. Sound similar or familiar? The US is in flames because of what happened to George Floyd. We watch in horror, yet the exact same thing happened to David Dungai. Where is Australia's outrage? No one was held accountable for David's death, and he was not the only one. There was 432 black deaths in custody since 1991 Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. This, will, this number will continue to rise as the per perpetrators evade accountability. We call for the implementations of the 339 recommendations of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. Many of us look abroad in horror, but the racism is alive and well in our own backyard. Institutions of power, the police, the courts, the media, the government discriminate against Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people every opportunity.
just heard from Aboriginal people across their lands. Let's take a moment to reflect on what we've heard and remember those who've died in custody. listening to Stick Together on your local community radio station. Next up, we're going to hear about workers' cooperatives and how they can help us build a new economic system after COVID-19. You'll hear from host Tilly from the Earthworker Collective and panellists Ellie from the Red Gum Collective, Tim, an economics professor, and Godfrey from the United Workers' Union. Yeah, so basically Earthworker Cooperative is aiming to bring together people from diverse backgrounds in practical action to solve the environmental and um, social problems that we're all facing. Um, And we provide common ground where trade unionists, environmentalists, small businesses and people and and other people can come together and work for a common cause. 
Um, and we do this by establishing and facilitating cooperative businesses. Um, we've, we're involved with or a member organisation of about five co-ops at the moment, um, but always trying to start up new co-ops and always in that process. And it's very ongoing. Yeah, and they range from things like uh, peer-run refugee higher education support cooperative to Red Gum Cleaning Cooperative, which is an eco-cleaning co-op in Melbourne. Um, and Ellie's going to talk about that a bit later. Yeah, and we also try to meet our goals by establishing an earth worker clause in um, union constitutions to try and have an earth worker rep. And we want to have earth worker reps in all the unions and, yeah, and try and bring together yeah, environmental and social movements and have that really enshrined in the way that our unions work. Basically, to put it very simply, a co-op is a group of people that organise together as equals. Um, worker co-ops are owned by and controlled by the staff and only those working for the co-op are members and the co-op exists for the benefit of the workers. How is the pandemic shifting the economic landscape and how is this going to impact workers and communities in the future? Yeah, it's been quite a big um, setback, I think, for the cooperative Red Gum. Um, so we decided to stop our domestic cleaning activities um, towards the end of March, just before we went into the stage three lockdown in Victoria, because um, you might remember that it was getting quite difficult to access things like hand sanitizer and protective equipment and sanitizing supplies and things like that. And, and with more people staying at home and families staying at home, it, it just started to really feel like we weren't prepared to, to manage all of the risks uh, responsibly. Um, so we decided to stop work. Fortunately, we have been able to access government funding, um, which, is, which is helping. Uh, not everyone in the cooperative was able to receive JobKeeper payments, um, but we've fortunately been... Um, we've still maintained uh, our work for the Australian Services Union, where we clean in the, in the evenings, um, where we were able to, because there's not many people staff there and they're not there during the night, um, we're able to be a lot safer and have a lot of space there. So that's been some income for the co-op, which we've helped then been able to help folks who aren't getting JobKeeper payment to do a bit of work um, to kind of help balance things out a bit. Um, so that was a good thing that we were able to do. So we are looking at um, restarting domestic cleaning. Um, but over the last couple of months, um, people in the co-op situation has changed um, and our capacity is actually quite a bit lower than it was before the pandemic started. Um, that's due to folks caring for vulnerable people or just having other stuff kind of going on. So, yeah, it's, we're in a bit of like a tricky situation, um, but we're just focusing on making sure that we've got really good training and infection control procedures locked in um, and that everyone's up to speed with them so that when people are ready to start cleaning again, um, that will have peace of mind and our clients can have peace of mind. Yeah, and that was after doing consultation with our clients of whom we lost, have lost about a third of our clients, our home cleaning clients, um, mostly because of them like having reduced work themselves. Um, like domestic cleaning isn't something that people tend to hold on to if their economic situation gets a bit more uncertain. Been meeting frequently and trying to support each other. Um, we're also looking at other kinds of services we can do that um, will allow people to work outdoors, like window cleaning or garden maintenance. But yeah, it is it is an uncertain time. My guess is that with like more people working from home and not having a secure employment, that we will not domestic cleaning won't be something that we can really rely on for income. We're just kind of continuing to think about how we can adapt and 
yeah, it's it's been good to be continuing to to meet and start working on projects together because it was pretty yeah pretty weird just kind of suddenly not having our normal business to run together. I'd really understand the present as a real critical juncture or kind of potential tipping point for a neoliberal capitalism, which you could argue is a distinct variation of capitalism that sort of really took root from the 1970s onwards. There's a really nice quote here from Naomi Klein. She's saying, look, if there's one thing that history teaches us is that moments of shock are profoundly volatile. We either lose a whole lot of ground get fleeced by elites and pay the price for decades, or we win progressive victories that seemed impossible just a few weeks earlier. It's no time to lose our nerve. Uh, so I, I think that kind of captures the moment. And you can you can see with the current government that they're in the wings is the prospect of um, more industrial relations, kind of erosions, a, a type of depression economics. Like they're very kind of keen to move away from stimulus spending and there's that risk that they'll go to austerity. Frydenberg wants a gas-led recovery. And generally, they're using the resources of the state to try to um, extend the life of dying industries rather than to uh, grow new industries uh, and new types of industries. And you don't really hear much about the cooperative sector in Australia. The proof of concept is pretty strong. I was just sort of looking at some statistics today. 12% of the global population is involved in cooperatives in some form or another. There are 3 million cooperatives worldwide and they employ 10% of, of the global population. Even in Australia, uh, there's, there's over 2,000, depending on how broadly or narrowly you want to measure it. So it's not as if we're dealing with a boutique part of the economy. Uh, it, it's managed to get a substantial foothold in the economy, even in circumstances that were not conducive to its growth. So it just makes you think, oh, what could be done uh, if we had a more um, fertile environment in, in which to develop them? So I, I see the work of Earthworker and Red Gum, what everybody's doing, is potentially really important. To summarise, I see it as a time of great instability, risks, but also great potential. That's it for Stick Together this week. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Tilda Joy for the live recordings from the Melbourne Rally. Also thanks to Earthworker and their panellists for allowing us to share their knowledge. Thank you to the organisers of the rallies all over Australia, the volunteers and most of all the families of those who have died in custody. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 8377 and leaving us a message. Remember, wherever you are, Whatever you do, there's a union for you. I'm Rebecca Mays. Catch you next time.